Support for this episode comes from Viator. Experiences are what people love the most about travel. That's why Viator has over 300,000 bookable experiences, so there's always something for everyone. They offer everything from simple tours to extreme adventures. Plus, Viator's travel experiences have millions of real traveler reviews, so you have the information you need to book the best activities for your trip. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. One app, over 300,000 travel experiences you'll remember. Do more with Viator. Michael Kist. Are you caught me not listening again? Benjamin Solak. You never listen! It's the Kist and Solak Show. Presented by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. You are flying high on the Kist and Solak Show. This is episode 117, brought to you by the fine folk at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. You can follow me on Twitter at MichaelKistNFL. That's K-I-S-T. And as always, I am joined by the best doggone co-host in the game, Mr. Nine-Year Streak Without a Bad Day. He is Benjamin Solak. Follow his work at thedraftnetwork.com. Follow him on Twitter at Benjamin Solak. That's S-O-L-A-K. Ben. How you doing, brother? Jimmy Kemsky. Brother, what a show. What a debut. That's what it was. I'll be honest, I've listened to the first seven minutes exactly. And then oh, okay. I had arrived at the trail and I had to get out of the car. But it was incredible. Right, you know, I'm gonna finish listening to it. But this was it was the thing where I wasn't sure if I was allowed to announce it or not, and then I wasn't allowed to announce it, and then we're like, what is it gonna be? Very excited <laughs> to bring Jimmy Kemsky of Philly Voice into the BGN radio family to integrate him with uh Brandon Lee Gow. And may he forever reign. Though, honestly, like, contested rain now mm. with Jimmy in the building. <laughs> I mean, Jimmy's no slouch. Just saying. You know, watch your back, BLG. I have had a lot of fun so far communicating with Jimmy throughout this process and then also setting things up for the first show. Probably the most challenging edit job that I've had, but also probably the most fun that I've had uh, editing a show. So uh, I'm so glad to have Jimmy aboard. Of course, his knowledge is excellent. He's He's hilarious. And he's going to bring his insight throughout the entire season. It's going to be great for us. Affiliatevoice.com. Make sure that you check that out. I'm, I'm sure you're checking it out. It's Jimmy Kemsky. So. And why did Jimmy join? Because he was our first guest on Locked on Eagles back in 2016? I think 17? 17 maybe? Yeah, the 17th season is, is the first one we did because that was the yes, Super Bowl year. Because we have never talked about a bad Eagles season ever. We've been A1 since day one with Jimmy. Always been a big fan. So this is an honor to have him on the feed with us. So make sure you check out BGN Radio episode 80 if you have not yet. It, it's a hoot. When he starts to get into the Mike Francesca bits, uh, I die. And, and the oh, minute takes. Oh, that guy. The parodies are, are hilarious. So look forward to, uh, to that for the rest of the season we're psyched here let's get into our weekly previews ben so every week what we're going to do and it's kind of interchangeable but me and ben are going to preview the upcoming matchup this time is week two against the atlanta falcons on sunday night today we're going to be doing the eagles defense against the falcons offense i nailed it first time out the gate i always struggle with that strong (laughs) sign for the rest of the season yes we are one and oh and knowing what we're talking about. Huge win. <laughs> Eagles, defense, Falcons, offense. Before we do that, we do have some house cleaning to do. Just to note, we are recording this on 3 p.m. on Thursday. So we don't have the new Thursday injury report yet. But on we have 3 p.m.? That's not a real thing. <laughs> 
at 3 p.m. Quiet, Ben. Okay, so let's get to the injury report here. We'll, we'll update you from Wednesday, and then when we record next, when we flip sides and do the Eagles offense, we'll get you up to date on all the other injury reports. And uh, let's see here for the Eagles. Did not participate. Still, Camus Grugier-Hill dealing with that knee injury that he suffered in in preseason there. Also, offensive tackle Jordan Mailata dealing with a back issue. Limited participation on Wednesday was Derek Barnett with a shoulder, Fletcher Cox with a toe, quarterback Nate Sudfeld recovering from his wrist surgery for the Falcons on Wednesday. Did not participate. Wide receiver Russell Gage dealing with a concussion. We'll update you on his status in the protocol. Wide receiver Russell Gage, who was like integral to the first quarter game plan for, for Atlanta some for some freaking reason, <laughs> yeah. and then was no longer used. Yeah. Someone's got to explain that to me. But anyway, I was like, I was I got through the first quarter. I was like, I have to look up how many snaps Russell Gage got in this game. And I was like, it was 13. I was like, so does he not go on the field for the rest of the game? And he just doesn't. But anyway, go ahead. It's it's so weird because they ran 11 personnel 76% of the time. And Gage was somehow very integral to that when they have Sanu, Ridley. Who, anyway, we're, we're going to get into the yeah, yeah, yeah. cutter Sorry, of it all. I jumped all. ahead. I just, Russell Gage reminded me. I was very confused about the whole Russell Gage thing. Yeah, super weird. So was I. Limited participation for the Falcons. Offensive tackle Matt Gono. I'm not sure if I'm saying that correctly. Go, no, yeah, with a back and offensive guard Wes Schweitzer with a shoulder. Neither are starters, doesn't really matter. Full participation for defensive tackle and favorite of the Kiston Solak show, Deadron Sanat with a back. So, not too many big notes there. However, the Falcons did lose right guard Chris Lindstrom, the rookie who Ben and I had, I think we both had first round grades on him. They lose him for the season and they're going to have to replace him. We'll cover that when we get into the different matchups along the offensive line. But Ben, anything from the injury report stand out there for you? It's pretty straightforward. I think it's exactly what we expected, right? Camus, Mylotta, probably not in the in the near time. We know Fletch is still working his way back. We know Barnett's still working his way back. And then Seidfeld, I mean, limited in the sense that his right hand still works. But besides that, um, you know, he's he's obviously not a guy that we expect to come be a, a part of the game plan anytime soon. I will say, and I'm going to go find the tweet right now, Zach Berman of The Athletic, who, by the way, wrote the gosh darn cutest oh boy. feature about Dallas Goddard and Avante Maddox's little friendship roommate bromance. You read this? No, I did not. They're buddies. Are they They're gonna... pals. Oh, I man. love it when when like rookies become friends. Like when they met, they had like a mutual friend, and then they like sat next to each other in like you know like meetings and stuff. And then you know they got assigned a roommate for training camp, and they asked to switch so they could be together. <laughs> and then by year two. They were like, why don't we just like move in together? We can, like carpool and stuff. So they live in like a four bedroom house together and they like play Nerf Wars and they're adorable. And Dallas is huge and Avante is tiny. Avante is like from Detroit and Dallas is from South Dakota. Anytime there's anything on football players being real people with real friendships, as if like I don't know that they're real people for some reason. Anytime that's the case, I, I, I eat it up to death, especially because this is a pro Dallas Goddard podcast. This is now officially a pro Avante Maddox podcast by proxy, just by yeah. by adjacency. But anyway, the the Maddox and Goddard show is going to challenge the Kist and Solak show in fifteen years. There, there's like there's ready. like a, a thing on on the Eagles YouTube of them like playing a Madden game against each other for thirty minutes, and it's very cute. Um, but anyway, it was a great piece by Berman. Uh, big fantasy Berm. Uh, he had uh, today. Camus came out to practice with helmet in hand, working with a trainer. He doesn't provide context as to whether or not that's different than what's usually been the case, but I'd imagine because he's tweeting it, it is. And obviously, Camus coming back would, I don't think not necessarily against Atlanta, but Camus coming back soon would be a big deal. As we brought up, yeah. uh, the linebacker play wasn't strong mm-hmm. for Philadelphia in week one 
I, like I said, I don't think they're going to get him back against Atlanta, but as we're about to talk about with the Atlanta offense, your linebackers can be put in a stressful spot with how Atlanta likes to run their scheme. And so mm. Camus, a player to watch in terms of how quickly he's going to be able to come back. He's important to Philadelphia. They really need to shore up the linebacking core. So getting into this preview, and I agree with you, Ben, getting into the preview of the Falcons offense against the Eagles defense. I mean, we already kind of alluded to it. The Falcons offense has gone from Kyle Shanahan calling the plays to Steve Sarkeesian to now Dirk Cutter. And Cutter, by the way, was so he was so scared of the offensive success in the early of the season portions for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers that he yanked play calling duties from offensive coordinator at the time, Todd Monken, who is now the Browns OC at the first chance that he got. He comes out in his first game and they just lay a stinker, man. Like Matt Ryan struggled, but he was under fire all day. They failed to protect him. Offensive line had some struggles, but just the, the way that he schemed him up and you kind of slacked me be, before the show is saying dirt cutter LMAO. So what were your all thoughts? All the podcast needs to say. It should be the title of the podcast. Get us into the live show, episode 117, dirt cutter, LMAO. <laughs> there it is. So what would you see from this Falcons offense overall, maybe schematically, and then we'll kind of get into the individual stuff and the matchups. Dirt cutter is now the offensive coordinator in Atlanta. Now, you might be asking yourself, especially if you are a regular Kist and Solak show listener, how in the name of God is Dirk Cutter the offensive coordinator in Atlanta? Of course, uh, Cutter was the offensive coordinator in Atlanta from 2012 to 2014 when the Falcons flipped over to uh, Dan Quinn as their head coach, I believe is when Cutter moved on. Uh, Cutter was offensive coordinator in Tampa under Lovey Smith for a year before Lovey Smith was fired. Cutter was brought in, I believe, as an interim. Um, but either way, he was he was retained as a long term head coach. Was there for three years, and I was back in Atlanta as the offensive coordinator. Because if there's anything you know, it's that you should just hire your offensive coordinator from seven years ago <laughs> to make your offense good. Yeah. Another reason why regular Kiss and Solak show listeners may be wondering why Dirk Cutter is the offensive coordinator for the Atlanta Falcons is because. When the Eagles played Tampa Bay in week two of last year, we had a lot of fun at Dirk Cutter's expense because he was not calling the plays anymore. Todd Monken was calling the plays, and Tampa eviscerated Philadelphia. <laughs> Dirk Cutter, in seeing the success of Todd Monken's play calling, quickly took play calling back from Todd Monken because he didn't want to see how much better his offense could be if right. it was called by somebody else. Yep. And Tampa Bay proceeded to regress. Cutter was obviously fired in favor of Bruce Arians, and now Cutter's back in Atlanta. And so... This podcast has not enjoyed Dirk Cutter's work for a while. Nothing is different. It's much the same. Uh, Atlanta is built to be a team that runs the ball at a, at a, on a wide zone scheme and builds the offense from there. This is what we call a flow and flood sort of an offense. And so mm -hmm. at, the, at the snap, and you go, you watch the first three drives against Minnesota, which is all scripted plays, the amount of jet motion, a cross motion, and then... Uh, what you would call like zip and zoom motion, like zoom goes across the formation. Zip motion is where a wide receiver comes in tighter. Um, so the Falcons are constantly sending receivers across the formation, both pre-snap and post-snap. They'll do it with H-backs and with nasty alignment receivers in split zone sort of looks. And so before and at the snap, Atlanta wants to give you a ton of horizontal looks, make you potentially rotate your defense, flip your coverages, adjust the strength of your defense. And all of this matters uh, one of the things that you and I have talked about uh, in the recap of week one and the win against Washington, it was also on my timeline, when the Eagles had to deal with jet motion, a motion, a, when I say a cross motion, jet motion, I mean motion that goes from one side of the ball to the other. Right. When the Eagles had to deal with that, they gave up 
nearly a huge touchdown to Terry McLaurin because Ronald Darby did not appropriately get into his check. And this is an issue that Darby has had in the past. And so... And talk talk about that check real quick, what yeah, he was sure. supposed to be doing there on that missed pass to McLaurin where it was overthrown. He was supposed to be in a deep zone, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if you like, kind of close your eyes, unless you're driving, I mean, if you're driving and you want to do it, go for it. I'm not going to tell you how to live your life. <laughs> but if you think about just like a, a very typical offensive set, one wide receiver on one side, one wide receiver on the other, there's, you know, tight ends and running backs elsewhere. Uh, and the one run, the one wide receiver on one side, jet motion, so across the formation to the other side of the field. If there's man coverage, that corner's got to chase him all the way to the other side of the field, and it can be easy to get out leveraged. You just don't run as fast. You have to be worried about fake motion and keeping contained and whatnot. Quick jet sweep, little toss, easy, easy money because you got out leveraged. So yeah. a solution that defenses present to that issue is instead of having the man coverage corner track him all the way across the field, is they have the deep middle safety come down and cut off the jet motion guy. So he goes to meet the jet motion guy on the other side of the formation. Now the man cover safety has to drop back and fill the responsibility that that deep safety would fill. Ronald Darby has had to do this multiple times in multiple years for different reasons and has failed to do so. He doesn't gain depth. He stays up near line of scrimmage. He's sniffing around stuff. He shouldn't be sniffing around. And the Eagle, yeah. and offenses are able to get over the top of the Eagles defense. They pulled the safety down with jet motion and Darby does not get back deep enough. And so this was an issue presented itself against Washington. It's something you're going to have to be aware of against Atlanta because Atlanta, yeah. like I said, it's, it's flow and flood, right? So they're going to give you jet motion you know across and then they're going to give you a wide zone look and they're going to give you a split zone look and it's going to be a hard rollout with, with big flow and the whole offensive line is going to be moving and there's going to be one guy moving the other way and then they're going to run isolation concepts two-man concepts three-man concepts look to hit you deep and so yeah. there's so much horizontal flow in the beginning of dirt cutters offense again pre-snap and at the snap that discipline across the 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 defense all 11 players is highly critical now we can even talk about specific positions and players that matter more. But as a general note, this offense is built to get you moving one way and beat you in a different way. They want to get you flowing. They want to get you flowing. They obviously want to beat you that way too. They want to beat you on wide zone, go into a particular side so that then they can beat you coming to the back door as well. That's the basic tenet of the Atlanta Falcons offense now under Dirt Cutter. And to kind of give you a visual of, of what that looked like, that coverage that we're talking about where Darby has to kind of get to a deep zone. If you think back to week four against the Tennessee Titans after the McLeod injury, the Eagles ran that type of coverage a ton for different reasons, and they struggled with it there as well. So this has been an issue for this defense. Ben has pointed this out on his timeline. He, he did a clip where he kind of broke down some of the coverages from the Eagles and has those clips in there. So if you want to hear more on that with a visual aid, I highly suggest going to uh, at Benjamin Solak on Twitter and checking out that's that visual absolutely. there. That's It's a good aid. And, and the reason it's important is because, like Ben alluded to, you're going to see a lot of this uh, similar looks from Washington and Atlanta when it comes to their play-action game. Now, play-action did not help Matt Ryan in this game. He, he did struggle, but play-action also averaged 9.4 yards per attempt last year, and the sample size is 16 times larger on that. So you're going to see it a lot. You're going to see condensed formation. So you're going to see two tight ends. They're going to be on either side, and then you're going to have the wide receivers, that nasty split we talked about on, on the film review show, those nasty splits close to the formation from the wide receivers on other side. What's going to happen is that not only do you have to deal with those checks, but you also have to deal with Julio Jones being in a nasty split. You probably have outside leverage. You might be playing zone to make that easier on your linebackers, and they're going to run them deep in a way 
from that cornerback. You have to track him across the field. This is something we saw Jalen Mills struggle with Julio in the 2016 matchup. Of course, we're going to talk about Julio more, but a lot of the concepts that you saw the Eagles have struggled with, they will have to adjust to and make it work against the Falcons because their play action game is going to be very similar. And Schwartz, like we said in the film review show, he will blitz some of those run formations. He has had success with that against the Falcons in the past, but man, did he run into a brick wall of max protect against the Falcons. And I think the Eagles are going to have to win in a different way against the Falcons than the Vikings. The Vikings brought a lot of pressure, a lot of exotic stuff to harass them. The offensive line wasn't able to deal with it. Yeah, well, we got to have a conversation about this. The Atlanta offensive line, what happened? Let's talk about that. Because Jake Matthews was good for a second there. Like, that was not a thing I imagined, right? Like, Jake Matthews was like, oh, he looks promising. It looks like he's panning out. We're going to give him money. What? Matthews has been solid for for a good while. He was bad this game. He got really spanked bad. around. Yeah. Now, Caleb McGarry is the first round pick, and he's he wasn't able to get on the field. He had another heart ablation. Well, he had, he had a timeshare with Ty, with Ty Sambrello. That that was kind of the, that was always the plan because he's not conditioned, and they want to make sure they're taking it easy with him. But either way, McGarry at tackle for me was always going to be an issue when he came out. And then sharing time with Sambrello, that ain't say, it. <laughs> I would take McGarry over four quarters on condition before I would take Ty Sambrello. Man. <laughs> What about at right guard with no Lindstrom, with Jamon Brown? What about right, with Jamon Brown? With Jamon Brown, who Eagles fans will remember as that one guy on the Giants who Fletcher Cox <laughs> ate repetitively. And then the oh, left guard, man. James Carpenter, just just yeah. also bad. He got abused that game too. So all See, across I thought the like board- Carpenter like isn't great, but I thought he like held his water for what he is. It was right. the fact that like he's better than Jamon Brown. Number one, I thought Jake Matthews was good. Like I'm I'm flabbergasted. It's one <laughs> game, obviously, but like Matthews got beat around. Yeah. And then Tyson Bryo is playing football. He's like starting in week one. How is this allowed? This is not good. So, yeah, so the tackle situation is dire, and Jamon Brown is a, is a huge weak point. Philly, you know, Jim Schwartz talked a lot about the struggles getting pressure with four against the Redskins. That's not going to be something that's going to fly against the Falcons. They much more so have the receivers one-on-one who can beat you. And that's where you said, you know, like like Minnesota, exotic pressures bringing blitzes because Minnesota has the secondary to play man coverage behind it. True. Philly done. Right. They, you know, that, that's not what Philly wants to do. It's not what Philly's going to do. Whether or not that is, is you know, the right call is, is something that's been debated. I know that I'm personally quite fine with no blitzes, send four, run your zone coverage, tackle in front of you, so I'm going to give up yardage, I get it, whatever. But this is this is a um this is a situation where if the Eagles aren't able to get pressure with four, Matt Ryan is going to be able to make them pay a lot more than Case Keenum did. Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Muhammad Sanu are going to make them pay a lot more than Trey Quinn, Paul Richardson, and Terry McLaurin did. And Terry McLaurin made him pay, but McLaurin was out there playing the X. Julio Jones plays the X for the Falcons. He might be a little better, you know. Like <laughs> you know, it's like right. this the, the offensive firepower is there. Now, what I will say is that by nature of the heavy play action approach for Atlanta. By nature of the of the, the 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 jet motion and and the, and the long play fakes, Ryan spends a lot more time in the pocket holding the ball, yeah, and even out of the pocket holding the ball than Keenum did in 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 the West Coast approach that we saw from Washington. At least late in the game, I think we saw a lot uh, of play action. I think they ran it. I think I charted that as thirty nine percent before the the score got to like twelve points up. Because they had 17 straight passes where they didn't use play action because of the game script. So I still do sure. think there's valuable takeaways in those early portions of the game when it was still a game from Keenum because there was a lot of play action. Those linebackers got sucked up. There was room behind them. We're going to see the same thing from the Falcons. So I think there still will be a big issue there, especially with the linebackers. But please go ahead. Right. So let's talk about let's actually talk about the linebacker thing, because 
and I, this is a you know interesting point to talk about in the way that things get discussed in terms of what your defense has to do against offenses like this. And I just checked Case Keenum was 2.68 seconds to attempt. Matt mm-hmm. Ryan was 2.8 seconds right. to attempt. Mm-hmm. So difference Both there. long. Yeah. Right. Less than 2.5 seconds. Keenum had 45% of his attempts. Ryan was at 40% of his attempts. Mm. So Ryan's yeah. in the pocket for longer. Okay, good. I want to make sure I was talking right. Okay. Yep. Whenever you talk about defenses or offenses that have this approach, they're going to give you flow. They're going to give you split zone. They're going to give you wide zone play action fakes horizontal stretches the subject matter is always the linebackers so it's like this is to sucker your linebackers up and it's to 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 get your linebackers moving and to attack behind the linebackers and i i I agree with that i don't think that that doesn't happen but when it comes to defeating an offense that attacks your team in this way i don't think the solution is better linebacker play is it really is not to me and we should preface this by saying i have never coached and i probably don't know what i'm talking about (laughs) <laughs> but it starts with your defensive ends. It starts with your end men on the line of scrimmage. They can force short throws by getting pressure on some of those rollouts. Right. That's an automatic check for a quarterback. Sure, sure. I mean, like if we like we go straight to like the the play action fake, right? Well, if your weak side defensive end, you know, the the one who was unblocked in the play action fake, if he stays home. Instead of that being a long rollout with roots developing down the field, potential for Chuck Gaines, it's that ball's either coming out quick or there's a pressure and then they got to reset and the play's a little broken, sure. But also just from the perspective of you got to be able to stop the wide zone mm-hmm. and your strong side defensive end, the player to whom the play is aimed, is critical in doing so. Wide zone wants to get the whole defense in a flow set and then cut upfield off of it. If your defensive end can get vertical and is not getting pushed horizontal, he's going to force a cut much earlier and a cut into traffic. In order for Mm. wide zone to work, especially the way that Cutter runs it, because Cutter's not running a Sean McVay wide zone, where it's everybody's going to go run wide and Gurley's going to take one step wide and then cut upfield. The center's not going for the nickel guy. Yeah, Right, exactly. We like to say that McVay runs wide zone weak, right? We say wide zone weak. Wide zone with the goal of getting upfield immediately right cutter much like kyle shanahan did wants to run wide zone where he actually gets his players to the outside and he actually gets his Mm. players up the b gap and he leads with an f back he leads with a fullback demarco right is that the name of their fullback there 42 no it's not they got rid of him it's keith smith oh Oh, really devastated where is patrick demarco is he the same number he's 40 why would they do that to us oh he's 40 okay patrick demarco is in buffalo fun fact anyway So they, they really want to get you wide. They want to outflank you, and they want to run up, up the field like that. So you need players who are really, really solid run defenders, especially both of them as weak side defenders, and Derek Barnett and Brandon Graham, again, both great in these roles, to be great in these roles. Because yeah. if you do so, you're going to be able to stymie wide zone. You're going to be able to respond nicely to play action fakes. You're not going to get outflanked by things like split motion, and that's going to help protect your linebackers if and when they're out of position. It's just to say that I think that when Philadelphia approaches the Atlanta offense, it's not going to be from a perspective of, well, we got to make sure that Zach Brown stays home or anything like that. No, like the Eagles linebackers are bad, and they've been devaluing <laughs> linebackers for a few years now, right? They, they didn't pay Jordan Hicks. They haven't been drafting the position highly. They, you know, linebackers are, 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 are a position that can get protected by really good line play. They played one linebacker for 55% of the snaps last week. Absolutely, right. yeah. Yeah, so they're going – it's going to be – asking and men on line of scrimmage players and overhang players like Malcolm Jenkins to come down and to, to cut off flow before it outflanks the defense, turn plays back into the strength of the defense, let linebackers play cleanup. 
Nigel Bottom's going to have 13 tackles, three of which he earned. You know what I mean? That's fine. That's how you play team defense against a team that wants to stretch you with wide zone. When we come back here on the Kiston Solak show, we're going to get it more into the offensive line matchups. I'm going to ask Ben what his Derek Barnett take was that he told me about before the show. I'm excited for that one. Uh, Also, we're going to talk about, of course, some matchups in the secondary as well. That's coming up next here on the Kiston Solak show. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. We are back here on the Kist and Solak Show, episode 117. Michael Kist here with Benjamin Solak. This is all brought to you by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Ben, one thing that I noticed in this game, and I think Kemsky was talking about this too on BGN Radio number 80, is that Devontae Freeman, man, I'm a big Devontae Freeman fan. You know this over the years mm-hmm. of, of, of us covering this. And I'm there with you. So you're there with me, right? Ito Smith. I, is it time for him to take over? Because Devontae Freeman did not. He looked indecisive, and he didn't look explosive. He didn't have the same spring out of his cuts. Maybe I'm being reactionary to one week. I'm about to say that's healthy. He did not look like the same back. Yeah, I think that Ito's got juice, and I think that Ito, you know, I think that the Falcons' running attack in general was at its best when it was Coleman and Freeman. They were both healthy, and they were both good. Obviously, we know Freeman has is, is been beat up. He's been recovering from injury, and so it's not out of this world that he would be athletically not exactly where he was. I'm not willing to at all, you know, kind of wave the white flag and push out the funeral pyre on on Devonta Freeman, <laughs> especially because Minnesota, you know, it's no secret how to to respond to kind of the the the, the offense that the Falcons gave them, right? It's not a, it's like you know, like defending wide zone is not like a riddle. And the Minnesota front seven is built to do it. Like I said, all oh, the Eagles don't have you know great linebackers. Well, the Vikings have Eric. Uh, Kendrickson and Anthony Barr, so they're kind of you know set at the position to be able to respond to these issues. And they were they were fast flowing. They were they were doing yeah. fantastic tracking down the sideline. I mean, the they're, they're a huge physical front, and yeah. that's going to be really advantageous to them in those situations. Now, I'm not so I'm not really willing to to make that. that I will say though that Ito is a number one super fun player. He's a joystick out there. Number two, my question is where four targets to Devonta Freeman versus one target to Ito. That's what surprises me. Yeah. Right. Ito out touched or Ito was six carries to Devonta Freeman's eight. Okay. That's fine. Pretty much splitting it. Um, But from a pass catching perspective, that's where I would expect Smith to get a bigger portion of the pie. Um, But then again, this team targeted Austin Hooper nine times and Julio Jones six times. So what do I know? (laughs) The Vikings were doing things to trail on Julio and everything like that. And let's kind of transition there. Let's let's look at it against Julio here under this framework, uh, a prediction from you. So Julio can break the franchise record for the Falcons for receiving yards on Sunday. He trails only the great Roddy White 
trails him by 101 yard. Does he break the all-time franchise record on Sunday night? I'm going to say yes. Will you say yes as well? And what do the Eagles have to do to prevent that? Or are they going to be kind of okay with that and just kind of letting them not necessarily dumping too many resources into stopping Julio until you get into the red zone? They doubled them a lot in the red zone last year and it was successful for him. How do you see all of that playing out? And does he hit that franchise record? No, I don't think he's going to break 101 yards. You don't think this this offense, that, that Julio Jones against these corners, are going to move at the very least pretty well from 20 to 20, just like they did last year? Just like they've done literally forever. Julio Jones' <laughs> last four games against Philadelphia, he yeah. is uh, 123 yards, 141 yards, 135 yards, 169 yards. So, yes, absolutely. Here's why I don't think so. Because for good or for bad, Cutter runs Julio deep. Mm. He runs Sanu and Ridley intermediate and short. Mm -hmm. Ryan's not going to have a lot of time. Mm. I think that this game, and we just talked about Philadelphia getting beat deep a lot, but I'm really expecting Philadelphia to get more pressure with four this time around. Yeah. You know, if they don't, we got a whole different conversation to have. And I expect them to treat Julio more like they treat Odell. And in those situations, they're pretty good at keeping things over top. Potentially with cone coverage, right? And which, Mm -hmm. which is the case. My expectation is that this is going to be the Calvin Ridley game for Philly. There you go. I'll put it to you this way. Ridley and McLaurin, similar players in terms of how they win. I think that that sort of receiver who can run fantastic routes against big cushions Mm. to separate in the intermediate levels of the field is going to be the receiver that gives the Eagles the most issues this year. And that's Ridley. To me, that's really, that's also Sanu. Uh, Sanu, right. Sanu is, 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 is a slot guy, and he's a big slot guy, but also Sanu runs tremendous routes. He may not get the same off-coverage sort of looks that Ridley does because I think Sanu ta- out-snaps Ridley in the slot, if memory serves. It's going to be interesting with the matchup because Sanu is a big dude, big slot type of guy. The Eagles run a lot of big dime. Does that mean that Avante Maddox is on him? Does that mean that Andre Sandejo is on him? Are they kicking in Sydney? Like, who? who is – I can't see Maddox against Sanu. That's fascinating right. to me. Ma- well, like, you can't, but then also Maddox kept Allen Robinson locked up for all but one drive against the Bears on the outside. You know what I mean? So like, And played DeAndre Hopkins really well with, with some help, obviously, but he's not right. going to get the same kind of help in the slot that he will outside. Right. Now, and, and, and Maddox's game against Washington, who – I will remind the listeners, this is now officially an Avante Maddox podcast because he's friends with Dallas Goddard. <laughs> Maddox game against Washington was not great, which, you know, I it, we are so, so, so too early away from saying like... Is he going to have a Clement sophomore slump kind of Kind of like yeah. a year one magic situation, right? Where he right. like came in, had like, you know, three good plays and then like really like got his own momentum going. And now it's kind of in year two and the expectations are ratcheted up. And we're not near there yet. But Avante Maddox played better in his first rookie year in a different position at the NFL level than he ever played at Pitt, which like is mm. hard to explain. It really um, is. But anyway. <laughs> right. That's why I remember when Maddox was coming in and they were putting on safety. And I was like, this is not going to be good. And it was great. <laughs> And I was like, how? Like, I don't know what's <laughs> happening. Right. So so obviously we're not there yet. Just to, the point being, I think Jenkins over Sanu makes some sense. And I think they've had Jenkins over Sanu in the past when there they played go. the Falcons. Mm-hmm. I had something I haven't gone back and I haven't gone back to watch the 2018 game that they had against the Falcons. Um, but I think they've done Jenkins over Sanu before. I'm pretty sure they've also done Corey Graham over Sanu before. Which is fascinating. <laughs> so that would be Sandejo in this hypothetical, which is yeah. also not great. It's not going to be like a shadow situation. So everyone's going to kind of get a piece of Sanu. Right. But I'm wondering how they keep Maddox away from it if they do keep Maddox away from it. Jenkins right. would obviously be a pretty good answer there. Yeah, well, it's tricky because they're going to run those nasty bunch sets. Atlanta likes to put three receivers right up against the tackle. Two offline, one on, a little bunch. And then they run route stems off of that. Jenkins is going to be the point man on that. Right. I'm guaranteed. Like, that's, where he, that's what they typically do. 
um, unless they have Rasul in, in which case they can put Rasul over it. So what you'll get in that situation is the point man Jenkins will take the point man, he'll press him, and then the outside corner will take whoever's first outside, and then the inside corner will take whoever's first inside from the releases from the receivers. So the Falcons can kind of play with the matchups that way too. Right. So certainly a chess match. What I will say is like, again, like not the best game against Washington, I, in no way, shape, or form, am I like, we got to protect Devontae Maddox from anybody. Yeah, so new Maddox is a, is a, is a size advantage, but I'm no. here to tell you that, like, every receiver in the league <laughs> is a size advantage. Let's not forget, Maddox set a record for tiny arms at the Combine. I think it was, was a Was it 29 like, and a half? He thought, yeah, yeah, 29, 29 and, a half, and a half. Yes, which are, like, literally my size arms. Yeah, t- T-Rex arms. <laughs> yeah, all in it, mock draftable. Uh, it's, it's super duper Don't tiny. Okay. Right. Right, so 5'9 and an eighth, which we don't talk about enough, um, 184 pounds. Yeah. And then, yeah, wingspan of 71 and 3 eighths, arm lengths of 29 and a half, which is the number one percentile for corners and is the number one percentile for all defensive backs. Like, we don't so talk about this enough. Yeah. He's a T-Rex. He's, he's and that's the thing. is like It's a large part of why his stock dropped because it pit, his pit film was he was so competitive at the catch point, mm. but also... Tiny arms. So you can't always do anything about it. Yeah. Yeah. But then, you know, easy to forget, 97th percentile in the three cone, 99th percentile in the 60 yard shuttle. Guess his three cone. Do you know his three cone? I, I, it's got to be like something like. Well, okay. So let's, let's, let's start with this. Yeah. The average, I'll give you the average three cone. There said we go. It's 99th percentile. His, the average percent, uh, three cone for a defensive back is six, nine, three, three. The average mm. for a, a three cone for a corner is six, nine, oh, eight. Six, seven, five. Six, five, one. Jesus. What? He ran a six, five, one, three cone. He ran a 10, seven, two, 60 yard shuttle. Do you know how bananas that is? He's so quick, man. He's crazy. Okay. 60 yard shuttle average for corners is 11 4. 11 4! He ran a 10 7! Nuts. <laughs> so, anyway, ridiculously fast, tiny arms, big ups of Vontae Maddox, friend of the pod. Yeah. Um, the matchups are going to be interesting. The Eagles don't have anyone to protect because they have liabilities in man coverage at pretty much every spot, <laughs> right? So, like, how you, you can't really, like, protecting the guys, the one guy who's worse than everybody else, right? And, like, yeah. you know... And you're just kind of making it more confusing anyway. Right, exactly. So, yeah, worse. I will... Like, if, if you get Julio isolated backside X, I would not be surprised if they check to a cone. Mm. Mm-hmm. But besides that... For sure. Yeah. Which, when we say check the cone coverage, uh, when we talk about a cone, and if you watch the Eagles have played Odell Beckham Jr. with the Giants over the years, how they played DeAndre Hopkins in the Week 15 matchup against Houston, a corner with safety help over the top even if like i said backside x receiver so typically if you have three receivers to one side and one receiver to another you wouldn't put a safety over the one receiver side right this time yeah yeah (laughs) but in the case of 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 that alignment where it's julio or odell or deandre hopkins on the backside that that team really wants to get that receiver isolated man on man so you give a corner safety help over the top it allows him to play up into the line of scrimmage and disrupt disrupt the route stem and then play underneath the receiver in trail coverage putting his body between the receiver and the quarterback safety help over the top you're not worried about getting beat deep you know you have that help and so vikings did this with success last week yeah right what we well, a lot of the times the way it expresses itself for the Eagles is something we call cover six. Cover yep. six is looks like a three deep coverage, which is what mm-hmm. Philadelphia likes to run. Obviously, cover three, the field is divided up into thirds, 
and each third is taken uh, by a different player. In cover six, you're going to have half the field taken by one player, and then the remaining half will be divided in two, and it'll be quarters coverage over there. So quarters coverage will cover four on one side, cover two on the other side, two plus four is six, cover six. Yep. That half field will be the single receiver side. There'll be a man coverage receiver underneath it. And then under the cover four side, you can match zone or you can run just pure cover four zones underneath. And that's how you run a a cover six idea. Uh, So that's what you expect for Philadelphia over Julio Jones. What is your Derek Barnett take that you were telling me about before the show? What's what's the take? Because I agree with you on all the cone coverage stuff. I think they're going to do that against Julio. I think he breaks 101 yards anyway. I'm not sure if it matters because it hasn't mattered in the other games. The Eagles have won despite some very close games and really could have changed on one player or another. But we'll move on past that. We'll get to the Derek Barnett take. Hit me with it. In 2018, this is the summer before the 2018 season, I wrote about Derek Barnett's five and a half sacks, which he got mostly unblocked against tight ends. ends. Again, that's Khalil. Not great. And in that piece, I wrote about the sacks that Derek Barnett had and then the pass rushes he won that didn't turn into sacks to kind of figure out where exactly this player is. My opinion after his rookie season remained relatively unchanged from my opinion when he came out, which was always that he was a good player on whom I had a round two grade who I thought the Eagles overdrafted. Same. Which people forget that that's my take. People think I just hate him at <laughs> Bo Wolf of The Athletic. That's my, my, that's my take, too. But right. I don't get nearly as much crap about it as you do. I don't know why. Anyway, so at the end <laughs> of this piece, I wrote this. So what do I expect from Barnett in 2018 and 2019? Honestly, much of the same. Barnett is a limited athlete who is no longer much smarter than his college opponents. So returning to his cornering success of Tennessee is likely a pipe dream. Because he's a hard worker with good hands, he'll continue to improve his rush moves increasing the frequency with which he generates his own angles and using his characteristic bend to finish. He will get better. Mm -hmm. But the character of his game likely has to shift. It's not about being a cornering expert. It's about cornering well enough to build off of that threat. Preach. Though put a different way, Barnett won on the outside edge track with a first step and with bend at Tennessee. That athletic ability does not translate well enough to the NFL. I'll say does not translate well enough to the NFL. Did not translate well enough to the NFL. To the point where he can't consistently win, beating his opponent off the snap, getting to the outside shoulder, and rushing with Ben. So, Barnett, who is showing improved hand usage in year two, is now back for year three, needed to become a player who wins just well enough on the outside corner so that he can work hand fighting, inside counters, and rush moves, and that's how he has to win at the NFL level. He's got to improve his technique, his hand placement, his hand strength to win in the NFL level because he can't just be a speed rusher on the outside anymore. He does not have the physical tools. So that's what I wrote in the summer of 2018. I think I know where you're going with this. What did you see from him? What we saw one? in the first game of 2019 is what needs to happen. This, yeah, is, what exactly. it's, this is what it's supposed to look like. He won and, inside. And, right. And Fran, <laughs> and Fran Duffy did a tremendous job yeah. of cutting these up. Fran, obviously, who you all follow, but if you don't, Fran Duffy of the Eagles, at F Duffy 2, 3, at F Duffy 3. Fantastic cut up. So it's exactly what we, we, we've never seen from right. Barnett, which is threatening the outside and then using the hands to get back inside. He always wanted to run that outside arc, that little forklift thing he does. And everything. like that, that was what we needed to see right. from Barnett. He needed to expand his move set. And if he can start like really winning with those and then, you know, incorporating the spin move, which he's been trying since he was like a sophomore at Tennessee and it was ugly then and it's been ugly for a while. But if he can get right. those things going and, and build on that move set, yeah, then, then then he's starting to look a little bit better on the outside there. Right, exactly. And when it comes to it, and again, I think this is an imperative note, is that Barnett rushed speed to power. 
And so Barnett does not bull rush. Barnett gives the first three reps of a speed rush and then turns inside and bull rushes, right? Mm -hmm. When Barnett works his little club move against Donald Penn, which was sick. Pretty. It starts out with upfield speed rush. Yep. And then he comes inside and then he rips him back outside. So Mm -hmm. Barnett's rush plan, which is improved every single year he's been on the Eagles, is still predicated on the idea that he can threaten the speed rush. And that's what's important. You have to be enough of a cornering threat to build your rush arsenal off of the speed rush, off of the initial first two steps, three steps that look like a speed rush. And then from there, we need a Barnett's hands to get better and his inside counters to get better such that he would win more rushes. Because if he kept trying to just win with a speed rush, he was going to consistently lose. I think that's what you saw. And, and you saw it at times in year two, and you saw it in this first game in year three. And like you were saying, the reason that he was going to keep losing that way, if you can't threaten the inside, like tackles were oversetting against him and still winning because he didn't have that inside counter. Now he has the inside counter. Right. And something that you saw what happened for Philadelphia, like, for example, on the power rush that he won against Donald Penn, right? Mm -hmm. Where it's really nice again, first two, three steps, speed, uh, speed rush, and then he goes straight speed to power. So he gets Penn to hinge his hips open, expecting Barnett to continue coming on the outside track so he can ride him beyond the peak of the pocket. And once those hinge hips hinge open, Barnett's coming right through him. He's not in a powerful stance and he takes him back into, into the, into the lap of the quarterback. What happens there on that rush is critically the defensive tackle next to him, Malik Jackson, rushes from B-gap to A-gap. He slants inside and he carries the guard with him. And so because Barnett is getting better and better coming inside, you take the defensive tackle next to him, you put him in the B-gap and you tell him, cross the face of the guard. Get into the A-gap and take that guard with you. Because if and when you do, you're going to give Barnett a one-on-one two-way go. If that guard comes into the B-gap with the rusher, there's no two-way go. You can't rush the B-gap. There's people there. There's bodies. Even if you win, there's too much nonsense, too much trash. So you get the the, the guard away from the B-gap. You get him to close into the A-gap with the defensive tackle. Now Barnett's got a two-way go, and Barnett's clearly a smart player. His hand usage has drastically improved since the time as Tennessee. But this was always the path for him. This was always why. When, 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 and even when you wrote the pre-draft evaluations on Derek Barnett, it mm-hmm. was... He's a, he, he wins with his first step, and he wins with his outside rush track. He's got good bend, but he's not very explosive. And he needs to be able to win on the inside track with hand usage and with counters better than he did. He had good hand usage at Tennessee, but it needed to improve for him to deliver on, say, a 14th overall selection. So this is as promising as Derek Barnett has looked, and that's what I want the soundbite to be. Yes, two offsides penalties, one of them in a really stupid way. But yeah. this is as promising as Derek Barnett has been. And I think that's that offside yeah, thing is yes, always going to be a problem for him. <laughs> dumb as rocks. But <laughs> if on the he's, spike was just dumb, man. Yes. It was but so if, stupid. But, but if he's going to be a, a, a edge one second contract, one-on-one threat defense, offensive line is worried about you, bona fide edge rusher. This is how it'll be. It'll be hand usage, counter rush moves, threatening with speed threatening the speed rush and working off of that into counter rushes and into bull rushes and occasionally into a speed rush. Yeah. Barnett's got his thumb on the winning formula here. It's not locked in. We've watched one game. He hasn't stayed healthy and we have to see it consistently. Offensive tackles are going to adjust and they're going to dare him to come outside. Barnett's got good bend and that'll work for Barnett, but offensive tackles are going to learn how to continue to play him. He's a growing player. He's evolving his his arsenal. So offensive tackles will evolve back. But this is this is the path right here. So this is as excited about Derek Barnett as a Philadelphia Eagles I've ever been. Good news. 100% agree. I don't have anything to add to that. You you nailed it. I mean, we've been talking Thank about you. it forever with Barnett, so we're on the same page here. Ben, let's get to some predictions. The line. 
is set at a negative two over under is 52 and a half. Let's just round this out and say Vegas thinks the score will be something around 27 to 25 with the Eagles winning Ben over under on 25 points for the Falcons after Jim Schwartz has held their offense to something like 12 points per game in recent history. What do you think? Is that the implied line? 25 points? 27 to 25. That's 52. The over-under is at 52. The Eagles are two-point favorites. Well, the over-under is 52 and a half, but you can just round it down, I guess. I'm going to take the under, I think. Maybe I'm like really just forgetting how bad this team was against Washington. <laughs> but to me, that's the, I'll, I'll take the under on that. 25? Yeah. Yeah. I think yeah. the under. I want to take the under as well. Like like we talked about, Jim Schwartz frustrated the heck out of us last week. Jimbo. And his history against the Falcons is as such that I mean, I trust him over Dirk Cutter. I don't trust him over Jay Gruden to not get out schemed and just end up having a better Eagles He's somewhere team. between Dirk Cutter and Jay Gruden. My God, we're in trouble. <laughs> that's amazing. That's 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 a good one. That's a good midpoint for Jimmy Schwartz between Jay Gruden and Dirk Cutter. Listen, you can trust him to take out a Dirk Cutter offense, but Jay Gruden, I don't know about that now. Perfectly cromulent coach. Ben, I think that's it from me. Would you say goodbye to the gentle, gentle listeners? Let them know we got another preview show coming for them. I just did. Sorry, I took your thing. Thanks for you, listening. Thank you. Ramp it up. Get the energy going. Let's okay. go. Hey, listen, you. You're a friend. You talk to us. We, we talk to each other, actually. You didn't talk to us. We're on the That's podcast. True. You're not. We yeah. talk to each other. You listen. You're like, wow, that was enjoyable. Ben's excited about <laughs> Derek Barnett. Season's going to be great. Uh, Mike thinks Edo Smith's better than Devonta Freeman. That seems questionable, but okay. <laughs> it was a good episode. It was our, our defensive preview. We didn't do the, the breakup preview uh, against the Redskins. It was a busy week. And obviously, we didn't have any film to go over from 2019. Now we're transitioning to our classic two-show format, which we hope you enjoy. We know that we do in-depth coverage on the matchups and the schemes to look for, hopefully that you don't think you get anywhere else. Uh, if you do enjoy the show and if you do find value from it when you get to Sunday, please leave a rating, a review, and a subscription on iTunes or on whatever app you listen to your podcast. Make sure you mention that it's us that you love and not the other guys. Though also, you know, Jimmy's good and, and you should love him as well and give him give him some love. It's not, it's not a zero-sum game, but when I read the reviews, I like it when they're all about us. Anyway, we are friends. You know, Ben, real quick before you say goodbye. Go ahead. Remember me and, me and Jimmy's first interaction on the Twitter timeline? I think I had like 80 followers was my like 115 play video thread of, of right, Derek of Barnett's Barnett. entire college career. And yeah. Kemsky plugged it on Philly Voice and on Twitter. So that's that's fascinating that we are now working together after I was like, holy crap, Jimmy right. Kemsky is not only scared that, the crap out of me. What are we talking about on this podcast? Derek, Derek Barnett. Barnett and Jimmy Kemsky. Go ahead. And Jimmy Kemsky. <laughs> oh, how the circle it becomes a circle. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you for listening. <laughs> We all we got. We all we need. (laughs) Fly, Eagles, fly. Good at podcasts. P.G.N.